welcome to the Money Mile podcast. I am your host, Justin Waller, and I am happy you are here. We like to think of Money Mile as standing at the corner of triathlon and personal finance. And we believe that age group triathletes are the lifeblood of our sport. And we want to shine some light on some good people doing great things in our sport. Today, we have a very special guest on Money Mile. Today, we are joined by Julie Dunkel. Julie started participating in triathlons 17 years ago. She is an 18-time Ironman finisher with eight of those finishes coming at Kona. First place age group finisher in the 2021 World Championships at St. George. And she is also the co-founder and coach at Nix Endurance, as well as a successful consultant and event planner. We're going to talk about Julie's journey in triathlon, some recent challenges, and how she is adapting through adversity. We are going to learn what Julie thinks are the best and worst investments you can make in triathlon. And we're also going to learn a little bit about Nix Endurance and the community Julie leads there. This is one of our special interview episodes, so it will be longer than a normal episode. There will be a brief intermission slash form check opportunity in the middle-ish as well, so look forward to that. And we have all the links in the show notes, so you can check into that stuff when you're back at your computer. But for now, drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets, pick your eyes up, and make sure you have a nice forward lean from the ankles and listen up to this conversation with the one the only Julie Dunkel. Julie, welcome to Money Mile. Thank you. Happy to be here. Julie, uh, many people may not be aware of your athletic exploits, and we'll get into some details about that. But can you share with us a little bit about how you got started in triathlon? Yeah, I got started probably the way a lot of people get started. I was consistently injured running. Uh, I come from a swimming background and I didn't swim much after college and I tried to take a stab at running and off and on just consistently. I was, I found myself injured, having a lot of problems. And I got to the point where I needed to take about six months off running and I bought a bike and started doing some riding. Once I was able to start running again, I was running and biking and had fallen in love with the bike. Yeah. Just by happenstance, you know, someone who I met uh, had said, you know, by chance, do you know how to swim? And we went and did a triathlon together. And um, as they say it, it, it was a game changer, changed my life. That was, gosh, you know, 17 years ago. 17 years ago. So interesting. I, I think you and I started in triathlon about the same time. <laughs> and uh, from a time frame perspective, I think you've accomplished quite a bit more in the sport than I have. Uh, I've just been enjoying the ride, but you have had some significant uh, results out of your efforts uh, over the last 17 years. Just recently, uh, we've noted that you had finished first in Oceanside 70.3, St. George 70.3, and Morro Bay 70.3 this year. Are my notes right? Did you really finish first in three races this year? I did. Yes. Well, congratulations. Has this been something that you've just always been tremendous at or has has there been a progression over time? And can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, I took to the sport pretty quickly and it did not at all come easy to me, but I have a, you know, I jumped in full force and was willing to train at a really high and hard level. And soon after I started the sport, 
I knew quickly that I wanted to do half Ironman and Ironman. And when I do things, I like to try to win. So it took me a while to win my first big race, but I did have success sort of in the second year where I was able to start getting on the podium and then work to a level where I certainly don't win every race I do, but that's always my intent when I, you know, line up at the start line. Oh, that's fantastic. And congratulations on the the success that you've had in your career thus far. We were speaking uh, just a few minutes ago that you have also, uh, within the last couple of years, had some pretty significant uh, successes on a grand scale, on the world championship scale. So could you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, well, sort of the pinnacle in our sport for Ironman is the Ironman World Championship. And that's a qualification race only. Um, and that generally takes place in Kona. Hawaii. And I've had the chance to race there eight times. And due to the pandemic, it was canceled. And they held the 2021 World Championship actually in St. George, Utah last May. And I ended up being able to put together a great day and I was able to win that age group um, title at that race. So that was that was a big day for me. Well, congratulations again. That That is a fantastic result. And obviously, you've been putting lots of time and effort into this. Curious from your perspective, having been doing this for 17 years, having had some significant accomplishments, what is it that you are most proud of within your athletic career? Actually, I think probably that race <laughs> is the one I'm the most proud of. It was the biggest win. It was something that I've been working towards for a long, long time. And one of those days when things come together and a lot of other things align and it was sort of the top point of where I've always wanted to be. That's fantastic. I'm very glad that that worked out for you. I know that that must have taken a tremendous amount of effort on your part. Uh, and we've all had days when things don't go according to plan. So the fact that they did all come together for you that day, congratulations again. That's awesome. So I've found that people have a tendency to look at things differently at different times in their life. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, looking ahead from here, what does success mean for you? In relation to life or sport or both or in general? Yes, all of the above. You are obviously a, a dynamic and complex individual with lots of different things going on in your world. We'll be, I'm sure we'll be touching base on those more as we go. But just in general, when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and thinking about, are we being successful or was this a good day? I'm kind of curious of what are the things that you think of? I think for me, it's defined uh, sort of in three facets of my life. The first one comes with health and connections within family. So if things are, you know, with my, with my partner, with my parents, with my children, if all of that is in going in the right direction, that's a piece of the success for me. I run a business and at the end of the day, uh, that is another important piece are, you know, is the business moving in the right direction? Am I doing what it takes to keep that business going? And then it's it's threefold. The third piece is where am I in my athletic pursuits? What am I doing to achieve the next goal that is there? So if I can look at the end of the day and those three pieces come together, that's where I find success. And I've learned over the years, it's it's got to be all three because if something, one is falling apart, it's really hard to feel successful as a whole. Absolutely. Uh, and interesting that in, in your world, that those three are family, business, and athletics. 
everybody has different things that are important to them. And sometimes the priorities might uh, shift a little bit this way or that way, but family, business, and athletics uh, as the priorities for you. Uh, thank you for sharing. I know that you have been going through a lot recently. If anyone happens to uh, be following uh, Julie, there, there are some interesting uh, changes that Julie's been experiencing as of late, specifically related to the injury scenario that, that you've been faced with here recently. And as a top level athlete performing at, at the levels that you do, maybe you could just share with us a little bit about the, the progression that you've gone through, kind of what's happened in your world and where you're at today. Sure. So nine weeks ago, I was looking at the second half of my season. I was supposed to be on an airplane today to Finland to be racing in the 70.3, which is a half Ironman world championship. And I have placed third at that race. Um, and I was hoping to do that or place a little bit higher. So I had big goals for that. And then two weeks later, I was going to go do what they call an extreme triathlon uh, in Montenegro, which is basically an Ironman, but there's 15,000 feet of elevation on the bike and you finished on a mountaintop with 7,000 feet of running. So it's a little bit different take. So I was in the build for that and I injured my foot fairly badly doing some preventative exercises that I overdid and ended up with stress reactions in about five different bones of my foot. And I was very quickly sidelined from running, uh, which we thought was going to be four to six weeks and just took a long time to get better. I had a lot of edema around all the bones. And as that injury was coming around, I kind of made plans, replanned my second half of the season. And um, four weeks ago, I had a mishap due to something in the road and I went down on my bike and um, fractured the greater trochanter, which is the top of my femur. So that sidelined me completely from everything for about 10 days. And since then, I've been able to swim only. So everything has been canceled until further notice. I'm sorry to hear that you're dealing with the, the injuries and the challenges that, that you're going through right now with athletics being as significant a portion of your life as it has been and as it continues to be. Um, I know that this has got to be tremendously challenging for you. You shared with me something earlier about your progression through this and your perspective about how things have changed. And just with your conversation uh, with the physicians around this most recent injury, hoping you might be able to share that with, with the audience as well. Yeah, sure. So, you know, when everything is, and again, I say this in from a very privileged place, when I say everything is taken away from me, certainly I still have my home and I have everything intact, but everything athletically after I crashed on my bike and then to find out that not only did I, you know, I injured myself pretty badly and I was on crutches and significant amount of pain. And I spent about 10 days where, you know, I felt like there was little success in my life just because I was having a hard time holding it together, trying to reel and figure out how, what I was going to do. And I finally got in to see an orthopedic surgeon and walked in there worried I was going to have surgery on my crutches. And, you know, he told me within a short amount of time that I didn't need surgery. And in fact, I should not use my crutches and I could swim. It was just fascinating because I left there so elated over the moon as if I was on this athletic high. And 
I got to thinking that if a week before that someone had told me all I could do was swim, I would have been absolutely devastated. And so I've been dealing with a lot of the mental side of things of it's all perspective, you know? And again, when I say everything was taken away from me, everything was taken away from me athletically. And then all I did get, I got back one little sport and it was, that was sort of what rebounded and I was able to start okay, like this is going to be fine. Let's focus on this. Let's focus on what works. And then that trajectory is, you know, I can look and come back. It's easy to wallow in self-pity. And I'm not going to say that I did not, but that's not who I am. And I've never been in that place, but I found myself sort of stuck. And so in some ways, I'm glad that it got that bad. So then a little bit of positive, I was able to really grasp onto that and appreciate that more than anything. That's fantastic. Sometimes the perspective that is brought in by uh, taking away something that is near and dear to you to get back just a little bit of that, that that brings in such brightness into your world. Thank you for sharing with our communities. I, I know that over time, most triathletes, I don't, I don't know of any triathletes that that have had a career where they haven't been injured at some point. It seems like it's just kind of par for the course for what we do. That being said, the the injury doesn't necessarily define us. It's a matter of looking at that and saying, hey, well, what can I do? How can I move forward from here? And that's not to belittle dark days because those dark days happen. And it, it might be a result of an injury. It might be a result of, of putting everything on the line and it not working the way that you wanted it to. Those dark days will come, but continuing to focus on the positive and trying to look for those uh, those opportunities. That's a great reminder. And I, I appreciate you sharing a little bit more detail about your, your kind of journey behind the scenes and how you've progressed through that. We certainly wish you the, the best of luck and a speedy recovery from here. Do you have a sense of a timeline of when you'll be able to get back to normal? We hope. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, any fracture is generally six to eight weeks. I'm hoping that I'll be able to at least get on my bike trainer in the next week or so. It's just, you know, the complexity of the injury, if not, you know, using too much muscle to put stress on the bone. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking it's probably another month, but, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to be able to do some, you know, biking and then start some small weight bearing. But at this point, um, I'm committed to, you know, healing hundred percent. There's nothing on the horizon. And so I, I'm, you know, started, I just got back in the gym. I'm starting to work on my core. I'm working on what I can to keep some strength in my body. So when it's time, then I will be ready to, you know, to get back to the biking and then running will be the last, which I'm guessing will probably be, you know, like eight to 10 weeks. At that point, is there anything that's out there on the horizon that you'd like to be ready for after all of this comes together? I know you mentioned you were talking about the second half of your season. No, I've reworked my season twice. So I decided that I'm not going to make any plans until we have a good successful month. And, you know, at this point, I'll look to 2024 and then, you know, make some decisions at that point. But yeah, it, it's a good time of year because, you know, it's we're starting to wind down the season and there's not a lot of things that happen late in the year. So in some ways, that's good. What I don't want is to have a race on the books because I put a lot of pressure on myself. I won't show up to a race just to finish it. There's added pressure if you're on a timeline versus listening to the body and, you know, doing what you can on a daily basis without rushing anything. So 
I think that's great because you you recognize in yourself that you put a lot of pressure on yourself and knowing when to put the pressure on and when to take it off. And you need to you need to focus on getting better and getting back to where you can fully compete at the level you want. That's a very mature perspective on on the sport and your own athleticism and your own well-being. Uh, so kudos to you for that. Most athletes would, you know, try to get ready for something and try to try to have something out there. Uh, but just take the goal of taking care of yourself and getting yourself healthy is great. Yeah, it's tempting. <laughs> <laughs> it's always tempting. There's so much fun stuff we can do out there. So I I, I think it's great right. that you're you're focused on you first. So we here at Money Mile uh, think of ourselves as kind of standing at that at the intersection between triathlon and personal finance. So we're kind of curious, what is the best investment that you have made in your athletic career? Hiring a coach. I've had probably three or four coach, four coaches over my career. Hiring somebody to manage the process and take the control is probably the best investment that any triathlete can make. You know, there's all the equipment things, but before you go and upgrade that piece of equipment, it's it's hiring a coach. And, you know, I happen to be a coach, but I had a triathlon coach long before I got into coaching. You know, there's a certain amount of science to it, but it's really more about having somebody either, you know, people need coaches for different ways. Sometimes it's to, to push you to get things done. For me, it's I needed somebody to hold me back and and to manage the process so I wasn't trying to follow my gut or, you know, go about this in any emotional way. And, you know, the the thing about a coach too is that they are the person that's interested in talking about triathlon anytime you want to. All of our partners and friends sometimes get tired. Nobody else wants to hear about your splits, but your coach is fully invested in that and plays a bigger role than swim, bike, run and strength training. So, and especially during times like this, during injury, you know, I've got someone to talk to and somebody who truly understands, you know, the level of disappointment and what that feels like. So, you know, we have that in our partners, but we can often, you know, overburden that relationship. So I think that is, again, not because it's what I do for a profession, but because personally, I have seen the benefits of having a coach. And I appreciate that as well. I appreciate you sharing that you are also a coach uh, in in the grand scheme of things. So could you tell us a little bit about the coaching work that you do? I got my coaching credentials about 10 years ago, um, just because I was interested in learning more about the sport and sort of started coaching as a, as a side hustle, as one would call it. And over the years, built it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I was doing it about 50% of the time as we went into uh, the pandemic. And the other business that I run is a consulting business within the hospitality world. And that shut down overnight because there were no meetings and events to be held. That was the precipice to launch uh, my own coaching company along with another partner of mine. So we launched Nick's Endurance in August of 2020 in the middle of you know, a year where there was no racing and triathlon. And it was, it's been great. It's, it's now what I do 80% of the time. Um, It's my primary business. And I have the benefit of working with a great partner. We have three other coaches and I coach about 25 to 30 athletes on a regular basis. That's fantastic that you get to have that aspect of the career as well. You get to, you get to share your knowledge with others uh, in addition to going through the, the journey yourself. Uh, and utilizing that coaching. 
So I am a little bit curious there. Uh, the name of the business again was Nick's Endurance. Yes. Okay. Could you shed a little bit of light on that? It makes me think there's a story in there. Yeah, it's a little bit of Greek mythology. Nyx is actually the goddess of the night. And Nyx had to embrace the darkness uh, in order to persevere. And so, you know, as you try to find a business and create a name, we wanted something that had some strength and power and a purpose behind it. So we have a, you know, a tagline that says embrace the darkness because anybody that does uh, especially a race, you know, there's at some point, whether it's racing or training that, you know, things can get very dark and we'd like to take that head on and embrace it and thrive on that and moving to the other side. Sounds like a fantastic alignment for coaches of dedicated athletes and folks who are always trying to get better, recognizing there are going to be dark days, especially given the, given what you've gone through and where you're at. Uh, you have some really unique insights into all of that. And uh, it sounds like things are going well with the business, the coaching business. Things are going well there? Yeah, they're going they're going fantastic. We've been able to add coaches, which is always a good thing. You know, I'd been coaching for a long time. I coached with another company. So did my business partner. And one of the things that we realized that we wanted to bring to the to the table was, you know, not only just coaching, but was also a community. Triathlon is a very individual sport. How could we create a community of support amongst our athletes? And that's been the best thing about building this business is that it's the connections that our athletes make with each other. And it's not just the athletes that I coach. Anyone who's part of the Knicks community knows other Knicks athletes. We get together at team races. We have, you know, events, we have things. So it's great to see connections within something that, you know, is a huge passion for people. But then there's also support from, you know, I support my athletes, I support the other coaches, athletes. And so we're trying to, you know, build something more than just a, you know, an individual coaching business. As we all know, triathlon can be very isolating in a lot of ways if you let it be that way. And, and as you pointed out before, not all of our spouses are are super fired up about hearing everything about what we do or the significant others in our world. So having that community is fantastic. Within the Knicks community, do you have a sense of uh, like any particular highlights of how you bring people together? Uh, or is it just a default of everybody being in, in, on the same workout schedule? Like how do you bring people together and create that community? Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny because it's we think of community as sometimes being in person. And I think a lot of the community that our athletes feel is sometimes just through whatever their communication mode might be. We have a we have a Slack channel where people can communicate and share things, but the relationships are sometimes, you know, over text message or phone calls with athletes supporting each other in their day-to-day training. We're not, you know, we don't do gigantic group workouts, but we're about connections. And so whenever we have athletes in the same city, the coaches are consistently connecting them so they can build those relationships to, you know, to meet up, to ride or run or know that there's somebody in that community in that exact city that might work out, you know, well for them. And so by us doing team races, we had, I think, 28 people that just did a race in Oregon 
And so those are just a whole level of relationships that are either rekindled from the last race or people meeting new people. And then they leave with that. And our goal as coaches is not to manage those relationships, but it's foster the really introduction and then let the athletes take it from there. And so that's how we're trying to continue to keep the community going. It is time for a quick form check. Money Mile is powered by Waller Financial Coaching, a full-time fiduciary financial planning firm. If you want to improve your financial form and improve your financial independence, you can get a copy of Financial Independence for Triathletes by texting Money Mile, one word, to 33777. You will also be added to the Money for the Long Run newsletter. Again, text Money Mile, one word, to 33777. Now let's check in on that running form. If you have your own form cues, please use those. If not, here are mine. Drop your shoulder blades into your back pockets. Bring your eyes up to the horizon and lean forward from the ankles for the rest of this episode of Money Mile. Kind of back to the financial side of things and just kind of curious if there has been an investment, if you will, that was a significant waste of time, energy, or money that you that you would want other people to avoid. Yeah, for someone building from the business standpoint, from running a business? I was thinking more from the, from the athletic side of things. Oh, from the athletic side of things. The number one thing to avoid is like, just don't sweat the small stuff. You know, whatever it is that happens, just, you know, you've got to let it go and move on. And if, you're, if your data isn't working or you forgot something, um, nothing is ever going to be perfect all the time. And sometimes you just need to go ahead with whatever you have on that day. But I think the biggest reason that there is a time suck or people get bogged down is they just don't, they don't take the time to plan often their athletic life the way they might plan the rest of their life. And so if you have a, you know, a a busy work week, training week and ever, it is the people that are most successful are the ones that take the time on the weekends or a day off to look ahead and see what's going to be happening in the next seven days it's not just planning from an equipment standpoint, you know, what do you need for your swimming, biking and running, but what do you need from a fueling standpoint? What do you need to have for, you know, food and recovery? And so the mistakes aren't, I didn't make it through this workout because I had a long day at work and I didn't get enough to eat. I mean, that's just really poor planning and can be completely avoided by taking the time, you know, whether it's on a nightly basis or a weekly basis to put those things into place. So you can, you know, the people that are the busiest tend to get the most things done, but there's always time for planning that can avoid a lot of the reasons that, you know, things don't get done. Excellent. I appreciate that. So what would you consider to be the most underrated aspect of triathlons at at current? I think this is changing, but I still think it's true. I think it's sleep. I just think that people don't understand how important it is to get sleep. And when I have people say, yeah, but if, if I do this last workout, I'll get done till 10 o'clock and it'll affect my sleep. And the question is, it's not what happens between nine and 10. It's what happened in those other hours of the day when you could have done that. And so I think by not prioritizing sleep, then it rolls over into so many aspects of your life. It's not only going to affect your triathlon world, it's going to affect you know, your, your family and your, your work, you know, something's going to have to give on a regular basis. And so it's, how do you, again, put it into place so you can get the proper amount of sleep that you can. 
but it sounds like a lot of that has to do with the the planning component of things that you had alluded to just a moment ago, planning appropriately so that you don't have to squeeze in that that hour spin on the bike at nine o'clock at night. So you can put that sleep as a priority. Am, am I understanding you correctly there? Mm-hmm. It's also prioritization. You know, if you want to really be all in when it comes to a sport like triathlon, and if you have a schedule that it has a very demanding job, then, you know, your social life may need to be sacrificed a little bit. As long as your goals are in line with what you're willing to sacrifice, then that's what needs to happen. Obviously, you are sharing this information with with your coached athletes, and and I appreciate you sharing your perspective with with the community here and the the Money Mile group. You shed some some light in there that some people might be looking at a lot of different things, but core fundamental piece of this is the sleep and the recovery. Uh, if, if you don't have that, some of the other areas are going to suffer. So I absolutely agree with that as well. So outside of not resting and recovering appropriately, uh, is there anything that you can think of uh, from your training history? What would you consider to be the biggest mistake that you've made? Overtraining, the concept that more is better. And I think it's a really fine line of understanding. And again, that's where having a coach comes into line and it's listening and asking questions to that coach. It's often tempting, especially when things are going really well. I call it greedy. You know, people get greedy. Everything is going well. So the concept is that things are clicking, they're going well, you're feeling good. So maybe I should do another long ride or add another long run or add something in there. It's something that I I struggled with for a long, long time. And it took me a while to accept that finishing knowing I could do more was actually okay. And then I could build on that for the next day. You know, it's kind of like at work, you know, it's like you can burn the midnight oil and then you may gotten it all done that day, but the next day you're completely burned out. And so it's more is better is not true. Agreed. That's a common challenge that a lot of us face. And typically for folks who are triathletes who are trying to achieve at a high level, putting in a little bit more effort is something that that appeals to us. Like, hey, we can mm-hmm. we can work harder. We can do more. We're, we are endurance athletes. That seems like that would be a common thing among our community that you know, we always want to, to do a little bit more. But you highlighted the capacity to take a step back and know when when it's different and know when putting in extra effort isn't going to get you the result that you're looking for. And it's actually better for you to take a step back. That seems as though that would take a level of maturity as an athlete individually. From a coaching perspective, do you see that with your athletes when they're when they're digging themselves into a hole that's too deep? And if so, then then how do you help them back off from that? And fortunately, I mean, when that does happen, it's that's where I draw on my experience a lot and appeal to their emotional side. Like, look, you know, I understand where you're coming from. Um, So, you know, it's a process. It starts off generally with, you know, a couple reminders of let's stick within the protocol. Let's stick with the workouts. Let's do this. Um, This is why, you know, I always try to give a reason why we're doing things and how they build on each other, where we're looking to. And if that keeps happening, then it depends on the person, but you know, that they pay me for a reason. So then it's, you know, most people like very positive feedback and they start to get negative feedback. Sometimes I will completely take a workout off the schedule. You know, look, you completely overdid it and I'm trying to prevent you from hurting yourself. So we're going to take a day off. 
But, you know, it's the basis of a lot of things that's communication. You know, this is why we're doing this. And then with some people, it's looking forward. Like, let's take a look and see what next week is going to be like. And if you don't dial it back, you're not going to be able to do the really hard stuff that is really going to make the change and improve your fitness. So everybody's different. And so there's, you know, you have to approach it from whatever they can actually hear and understand. And sometimes with some people, it's like, you know, go out and go for another swim. You know, you're not going to physically hurt yourself. You know, it's just kind of finding those ways that will satisfy what they're trying to do, but also keep them from, you know, hurting themselves either, you know, by getting sick or worst case scenarios, getting injured. Agreed. So, okay. So uh, part of that nuance is not only knowing the technical side, but understanding your athletes and understanding uh, being so involved with what they're doing and how they're doing it, that you can communicate with them in a way that gets the right messages across and helps them do better. As a coach, you're there to help them do better. So they have that thought process as a default. Uh, It's being able to communicate with them in a way they can hear it. That's great. Exactly. Okay. So obviously uh, you've been doing this a little while. Uh, so kind of curious to your level of success now and within the training that you've experienced individually, was there ever a turning point for you in regards to your training? And if so, what, what did that look like for you? I wouldn't say there was a specific turning point. Again, I was very fortunate as I had early success and I see Generally, it takes a couple of years and you build into that to kind of reach, you know, that your higher level of success with consistency. So there was never for me a, a big turning point. The biggest turning point was later sort of in my career as I started to age and I kind of felt like I started to hit this plateau. Of course, you slow down with age, but it it took me a while to understand, I mean, with the guidance of my coach that, you know, as an aging athlete, we had to do things differently in order to still perform at a very high level. And I think that took me a little bit longer to absorb than anything else. I wanted to do things the way I did in my 40s and I wasn't getting the results that I wanted. And so we did, we had to change some things. And once I figured that out, then I started to see the success that I was used to before. If I understood you correctly, part of that is is kind of redefining what that success is and recognizing where you're at in your life and your athletic career still keeping forward momentum and looking for something positive, but not thinking you're going to get a PR every other day. Right. You're not going to get a PR. You hit a certain point in your age and the PRs are going to go away. And so then it's, okay, how do I continue to win races, but we need to change how we're going to do that and, you know, look at different points. Yes. Excellent. Okay. So when you're training and racing with other women, what are some key differences that you see as the best parts of the the triathlon culture for women these days? Unfortunately, you know, it is happening in other sports, but I think it's, there's always been from a macro level, there's been equal pay for the professional men versus the professional women. So I think that from, if you look at it from a big standpoint, I think that's always good to have the foundation of the sport. The numbers are still very low. It's 70% men, 30% women. But I think there's been a change in the culture and the environment in, you know, trying to get more women into the sport. There's part of it, which is the barrier of entry from a financial standpoint, but it's, it's, you know, it's different levels of races, shorter races, creating environments for people to get into the sport. And then, you know, they can build and grow into it. And so, 
I think there's been an initiative of women supporting other women. And so there's a lot of mentorship. There are programs, you know, to help, you know, people get into the sport. And sometimes it's just, I find a lot of women aren't as committed or into triathlon because they somehow feel guilty about it because I have a family and I have a job and it's sort of a talking point of, you know, you don't need to feel guilty. Why is that a male female thing? The men that are in the sport have jobs and children as well. And it's the empowerment of taking care of yourself and your body is just as important for you. And I think that's one of the barriers that has, is starting to come down. Oh, that that's fantastic. So I, I, I don't think I mentioned this earlier. My daughter is 16 and she's generally athletically inclined. I just love the fact that there, there are people who out there, communities that are supportive for her being athletic and doing things. And maybe someday she'll reach a, a podium somewhere and something, but just a, a more supportive community, even if she doesn't, that she will be in a in that supportive community that will help uh, encourage her to do do crazy stuff like, Hey, just go out and have some fun and, and push yourself, push your fitness and, and see what you can do with your body. So I love hearing that there's more exposure on that side of things. Now I, I have heard of some different, uh, like uh, women's specific races and things of that nature. Have, have you participated in any, th- any uh, women's specific initiatives like that? Or is that, is that not a primary focus for you? I haven't personally, but it's something based on the athlete. I grew up in a sport swimming and we swam with males and females. So it's very much a part of my culture to be in, to be mixing it up, but you know, that's not true for everybody. And so it's, if I'm talking to an athlete and it's a great way for a lot of people to start, they also now have split the world championships. So the women race on one day and the men race on another day. And that's, you know, some people like it, some people don't, but you know, if it's something that's important to you or important to, you know, if the, if the female feels like it's, it's something that would make them more comfortable, then absolutely seek that out. You know, I think it's hard to do that all the time, but it's a great way to get into the sport as people are trying to, trying to navigate their way. Is this something that they want to do? More open doors. And if, if people want to explore that, they can. Obviously, nobody's required to do this, but uh, trying to create more open doors. Every city is going to have some sort of race that is inclined that way. And that's a good way to get started. And then, you know, they can build and go from there into, you know, races that the larger races are generally going to be both sexes. So, Julia, I know we're running a little bit short on time here, so I just have a, a couple of other quick questions for you here. What would you most like for the world to know about you and your journey? Over the years, it's interesting. I have a lot of people, uh, often people will say to me, you know, gosh, you're so lucky that you're a good swimmer or, you know, you're so lucky that you can X, Y, Z or have this success. And um, I think the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that, yes, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways. And I don't, I don't discount that at all. But the amount of work and time and effort that goes into what I do is huge. I train on an average 20 hours a week. I go to bed very early. I skip a lot of social engagements. I am, and I have been since, you know, I started in this sport. I'm committed at a really, really high level. When people say, gosh, you make it look so easy. It's not. It's easy because I love it, but it's hard and it's 
not everybody has to do it in this way, but if you really want to hit something hot, you know, high, then you've got to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices. I don't know how to say that in a way that it's not easy, but I love it. I mean, you know, obviously I pay to do it. It's, it's a choice, but it's, there's a lot of work behind the scenes that isn't very glorious, but I'm willing to go that extra whether it's the the extra mile, it's the extra strength session, it's dotting the I's and crossing the T's on a lot of small things in order to get that last one to 5% out of my body. Well, that's fantastic. And, and kudos to you for putting in that extra work and effort it has obviously been paying off. And now looking at things uh, moving forward and build, building in some balance, hopefully you get back to 100% health-wise very soon, and you are back out pushing yourself and pushing the limits of, of what you can do. Uh, so we certainly wish you all of the best uh, in that as, as we move forward. So Julie, I, I would like to just kind of open it up here as well. Uh, let the audience know a little bit more about kind of what's going on in your world. Uh, we can put some uh, link in the show notes to uh, Nick's endurance as well. What else do you have going on in your world that you'd like for people to know about? Yeah. I mean, you know, I run that business. I balance a lot. I think that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I run that business, you know, I do some work in the, in the meetings and events world. So I help people find venues for meetings and events. So that's, you know, another job I have going on. I, you know, take care of my parents. I have a great husband, two adult children and dogs. So um, I'm surrounded by a fantastic community. I do some swim coaching. I think that probably I'm, just, you know, trying to live my best life and take advantage of what is available and also, you know, taking the time and having some intention to give back to, you know, not only my local community, but try to find ways to help out in the world of triathlon. People that need some help and might have, you know, a financial issue or whatever that might be, it's everybody needs to pay it forward. I had a lot of people help me over the years. And so it's something that I will always take a phone call from anybody. There's links on our website for free consultations, you know, so I am happy to talk with anybody anytime. I'm happy to talk with people at how do you quit your primary job and do something that you're really passionate about. So that was a big part of building Nick's Endurance and it's taking a risk and understanding the financial risks, but going into it with your eyes wide open and just have to set goals like you would in any other part of your life. That is fantastic. And it will certainly uh, send folks your way uh, if the opportunities present themselves. Looking forward to seeing you at 2024 race season and beyond back to fully healthy and back to 100%. So again, Julie, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you joining us here on the Money Mile podcast. I wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Great. Thank you. Thanks again, Julie Dunkel, for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time and all the knowledge that you shared. I hope our listeners found this as valuable as I did. If you did, please share the podcast with your training buddies and friends. Please keep in mind that if you work out, everything else will too. And we look forward to talking with you next time on Money Mile.